welcome to the Dogs and Deadlifts Building Better Dogs and People podcast. Join your host, Daniel Rose, as we discuss everything canine and human strength and conditioning. We talk to experts, hear from people in the know, and just talk the latest on strength and conditioning for both people and their pups. We are about building better dogs and people. Good morning and welcome back to the Dogs and Devlers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Rose, and today we have from the UK two guests. We have Julia Robinson and Kushla Lehman. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much for inviting us. Oh, look, it's been a pleasure. I know that we've been talking some time and there's been some you know, some speed bumps along the way, but great to have you both here uh, at the same time. So welcome. First time I've had two guests here. Oh, okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. for sure. So let's just jump straight in if that's okay. We'll start with you, Julia, yourself. Can you give me a little bit of background about yourself and the business and, and what you do? Okay, I'll try and keep it short because I'm known to make things very long. I started Garland 20 years ago. In fact, next year will be our 20th anniversary. And the history of it, or the history of me, is basically I've worked with animals all my life, various species. The big turning point for me was about 25, 26 years ago, when I had a young puppy, a six-month-old puppy. And one day he couldn't lift his head from the ground. He was Labrador. And he was walking around with his nose on the ground. And of course, if a dog can't lift their head up, they can't sit, they can't lie, or they can, but they can't get up. Very long story, cut short, various vets. This was in the early-ish 90s, so before a lot of the modern diagnostics and definitely before any therapies. And I was actually told that I would have to have him put to sleep because Mm -hmm. nothing wrong. It was obviously degenerative or there was something wrong, but there's nothing they could find. It was just desperate because he was otherwise healthy, six-month-old puppy. And then another vet, I was farming at that time, and a large animal vet arrived. I said, can you just have a look at this guy? And he looked at him, and he just turned around in his very practical way and said, well, he's hurt his neck. And it was one of those moments when (laughs) you've gone down all these rabbit holes, and actually it was staring at me, and I've always had a bad neck, so I thought, well, I'll do some exercises. So luckily, being a Labrador, you like biscuits, so I started attempting or asking him to lift his head luring him with a biscuit and after a couple of weeks he regained a massive amount so his life would have been cut short for a muscular problem and that was sort of where my nightmares began and sadly I'm still having them because muscle injury muscle pain with acute but also more likely the chronic is so difficult to actually give a diagnosis Unless you use a lot of palpation and other skills and postural assessments like we do at Garland. And then you get a very clear view. So that was the origins of Garland was actually almost losing a puppy. It's interesting that you're not the first person that I speak to that had potentially a traumatic experience or has been seeking answers and haven't received them to do your own research, which takes therefore a deep dive into something and therefore a beautiful tree is born. Because when I started Garland Mm -hmm. in the UK, there were no one else doing any type of real physical therapy on canines. Mm -hmm. Not on horses, but there was no one. And that was just 20 years ago. So we've traveled a long way. So I had to sort of train myself by adding human equine. I flew over to the States to go on a course over there. 
and mm -hmm. gather everything together and then just build everything through observations and experience. And that's mm -hmm. basically pretty much a potted history, I would yeah. say. We'll get into a little bit later how it sort of flourished and, you know, now that practitioners all around the world and training and education and stuff like that, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I just wanted to do a, a brief introduction of yourself. And Kushla, would you like to do a little introduction as well, please? Oh, yeah. I met Julia, actually, when we introduced Canicross into UK, which was all the way back in 2002. And I'd done some personal training. So I'd actually trained as a personal trainer and I could understand how to train humans. But we started um, this sport and it was I really wanted to start it ethically and understand where canine, um, how to look after the dogs. And I could look after myself. I could train myself. I could do conditioning. But when we started putting dogs in harness, I really start, wanted to do it the right way. And that's when looking around, I came across Julia at Garland and was like, this is the answer. This is the answer to everything. Unfortunately, it then sort of like blew my mind about everything that could possibly, what we needed to do and how to build it and how to put the foundations in place. And that started my journey with Garland, but that's actually grown with the sport as well. So that level of input that I, all of the things that Julia taught me has been a real solid foundation of actually how Canicross and how Trail Runners, which is the group that we've got in UK, and the information that we pass on to all of the, um, through our website, and all of that information now is available to everybody because I want the sport to be as ethical as it possibly can with the dogs. And that's really what is our founding baseline. And obviously that's, you know, it aligns very well with myself. Hence why, you know, we're having a, having a chat today. Obviously I'm here in Australia, but we've got uh, listeners right across the world, including the USA, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. So you know, I wanted to jump on today and have a chat, obviously, about how Garland obviously can assist with performance dogs. Primarily we talk about Candy Cross today, obviously some bike activities as well, but how did, I suppose, the conversation come about between you two, you know, <laughs> ask that? Well, I was going to say, and then I go to, please, Kushla, fill in. But at that time, when I met Kushla, I was doing quite a lot with agility dogs. And I remember going along to shows and talking to people and saying, well, you realize that your canine is, is an athlete. And people would laughed at me, mm -hmm. laughed straight at my, <laughs> what, my dog, an athlete? Yes. And there was no warming up. There was no warming down. So when Kushla rang me and said I'd like to actually come and meet you as well she was you were already training weren't you that's basically how we met is that um, I heard about Garland I then started to train with the diploma course and then had conversations with Julia saying look you know what about this what about that if I'm working a dog in harness and then it was just looking at videos looking at pictures and then the whole thing really developed from there when I first uh, when Canny Cross was really in its infancy in UK we were borrowing all of the equipment from the sled dog world. There was no specific canny cross equipment. So we were really, uh, we were wearing waist belts, which were basically from the mushing world, which is how people walk their huskies. There was no idea of a health and, you know, back problems for, for the humans. It was like, well, just put this around your waist, you'll be fine. And the harnesses that we were wearing, again, were either X-back or the short shoulder harnesses, which had all been borrowed from the, the mushing world. I was really keen to sort of think about the angles of running with a human or with a dog, the change of the angle from obviously from mushing and doing it, you've got a very straight line between the dogs and the point of attachment. When you're canny crossing, if you've got a small dog with a tall person, that angle changes. So if you're then using an X-back shape harness, what effect is that going to then have on the dog? So it's all of these amazing conversations. And I didn't know, I didn't know anything about this. So luckily, 
I had Julia who I could go to and go, what difference does this make? And that's when we started to look at muscles and musculature and, and the effect and functional movement, which then opened this entire world to me. And it was like opening up a, a color picture book and suddenly all the pop-ups came up. So that was so, so amazing for me. Yeah, for sure. And I love those light bulb moments. Hey, they, they just sort of go almost like whack. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we want to talk a little bit about some warming up, potentially some some strategies or, you know, like we spoke about earlier about, you know, certain injuries that we may see. You know, a lot of people are, would you agree with this, that they're a little bit more reactive <laughs> rather you know, than proactive yeah. in regards to this type of stuff? I'd like to have a bit of a chat about, I suppose, some strategies or a couple of strategies that, you know, even just the warm up strategies that people can have a look at for before they run their dogs or get them on the field. Can we take you back before you even start to warm up? Yeah. And look at, I mean, puppy development, adolescent development. It is absolutely critical to set your dog up properly. And then, of course, not to start them in training too early. Now, that is a massive, massive subject. But if we can just start at that point, yeah. just before they actually go into training, Kushler just mentioned functional movement. And that's something that not a lot of people understand much about. And it's basically developing the dog in a way that they are anatomically designed. So you get myofascial chains to connect properly. So you've got one strong dog, not individual muscles that are working separately. And that can only happen if you really do your foundation work and you continue with your foundation work. And that can be viewed as being really boring. Most of it is slow, very precise, and you've got to be looking at correct muscle activation. People talk a lot about developing muscles, but actually it's muscle activation. So you have got to create the right body shape to encourage all those muscles to develop. And your previous guest, Fred, the nose work guy, what a fascinating program or podcast that was. And he was pertaining to certain things within the health of the dog and scenting. But actually, the one thing that he didn't quite say it did come across is that actually to get a dog's nose on the ground and to actually give them that natural position is one of the best ways of developing their functional movement. And it's good for them, as he was explaining, psychologically and physically. But actually, that is one exercise, a very obviously it's a natural one, that you do create these natural fascial chains that connect the dog in an incredibly strong way. That and other type of exercises, it should be done. But that one is just amazing. And it's natural and it works. And that is part of the foundation work. And I think that's where so many people go wrong because unless you've got a deep inside, in other words, the foundation muscles of the dog that hold those joints in the correct position, the time you layer on those great big power muscles if you haven't got that strength inside, those power muscles are just going to dominate. Yeah. They're going to go, don't need those deep glutes, don't need those other deep muscles. We can take over. And then you have body postural changes. And especially when you've got a dog in harness, because they will automatically, unless they're strong all through their body, their hind limbs are going to suddenly adduct and that chain will be taken apart. And then they start to become front-ended. Then they will dominate through their hamstrings. I'm being very general. And then once they start to dominate through their hamstrings, 
the pelvis alters, psoas becomes shortened, then you get psoas injuries. So quite often they can be effect rather than cause. Fantastic. So would you say that, I suppose a couple of things that sort of pops to mind, genetics play an important factor in obviously the right dog for the right activity as well? Depends what activity it is. I strongly think that any dog can can have a go at at canicross. I mean, you have to be slightly worried, um, slightly careful with brachiophallic breeds. So because of the breathing, I think it's another question I might throw back at Julia, but it's something that we talk about a lot is dogs need to be built up as athletes. And we, Julia and I always have a long discussion about rehome dogs and dogs that have come into the environment, you know, into that environment as well. If you're going to put them through any sort of activity in any stress, which is good stress in a harness sport, they need to be built properly. And it's not just a question of having a rehome dog or a young dog that you pop into a harness. Any dog can be conditioned, but they need to be conditioned. I suppose we'll throw it over to Julia as well, but I often just take your time. I say slow is smooth, and that's what we want to build them up, both physically, but also aerobically as well. Yeah. And also mentally. Because so many people get so many young dogs. I've got an eight-month-old puppy at the moment who's a Greyster, and he won't be going anywhere near a harness till he's at least 12 months. And at 12 months, he'll be doing 100 metres. That'll be it. And I really strongly believe that dogs need to be mentally as well as physically prepared for it as well. Because young dogs, you can easily put them off the exercise. So it's really important that you just do take your time. The difference in physical growth during adolescence is really incredible. I've got a 20-month-old Labrador, and believe me, I will not be putting her in any form of harness. She would be pretty good, but no, that's not my sport. But the difference in her growth from when she was 15 months to 20 months is incredible. She physically filled out, and the fact that often dogs are brought to the sport at that just over a year, as Kushler was saying, that Mayhem, we're not doing that. Do need to allow our dogs to grow. But during that time, during that time when they are developing, that is your premium time for adding the conditioning and building that real strength that will support your dog forever. And really to start that conditioning for any puppy, but especially for a sports puppy or a dog that's going down the sporting line, not to start the moment that puppy arrives with you at your home. Well, even before you got to go to a good breeder, of course, where they have already started the process, but it's got to start. Physical development has a window just like socialization and mental development. And if you don't start then, you are going to have a struggle to really get that full potential maximized. And also, if you have a dog, I mean, we think all dogs are perfect. Obviously, they are. (laughs) Sometimes their structures aren't as perfect as maybe we would like them to be, which makes that foundation work even more important for the muscles to develop to support that frame. It is absolutely critical. Cannot say it enough because, again, functional movement is really important. Harness sports, you go straight lines. And so the body is very strong in a straight line. You have got to build that dog's lateral and medial strength too which is all part of its functional movement. Otherwise, they will eventually break. Would you agree, Bushler? Completely. Are you looking for the perfect gift for you or a friend that loves dogs and fitness? Dogs and Deadlifts has you covered with merchandise and giftware, including t-shirts, 
hoodies, cushion covers, mugs, plus much more. Head over to teespring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. That's T double E spring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. Or check out the link in the podcast notes. And it's something we see as well a lot of the time is those planes of movement. For me as well, it's really important that we give dogs, harness dogs as well, that opportunity to explore. And, you know, sometimes you've got dogs which can't be let off lead. If you've got huskies, you've got malamutes or dogs like that, which, you know, have a high prey drive and see small furries, you know, as young dogs or adolescent dogs as well. I think it's really important to find safe places that you can actually let them off lead to actually find that proprioception, find that spatial awareness, but without encouraging them with any form of games. Mm-hmm. So no ball game, no chasing game. They don't need that. What they yeah. need is the opportunity to understand that they've got four limbs and that how they actually work. So if you have got dogs which you know are, can't safely be let off lead, is find safe places, find fenced fields, so they have the opportunity to explore what their body can do. I'll honestly say I'm relatively new to German short-haired pointers. Both the dogs that have come to me on their second or third home in both cases, and they're a little bit older as well. And doing body work or you know proprioception, my first week was frustrating, so frustrating for me. I often joke around at how goofy they are and the dogs are well, one seven. He's just about to turn seven and still working slowly with him, but it was a challenge <laughs> and it still is at times. Yeah. I often say to his breeder, I wish I would have got him as a puppy, <laughs> you know, it would yeah. be, be fantastic. If I could have had him at eight weeks old, he'd be awesome. I'd be so stoked. Not that I'm not stoked, but he would have more, much more body awareness and a number of things would click <laughs> a bit quicker. I mean, yeah. we start all of our guys off with, I like, you know, with Julie, you started Tilly, your Labrador, off immediately with treat searches. And she's, and I do the same with treat searches, messy poles, so that they learn that body awareness and it just builds them from the inside out and it gives them that body awareness. Just incredible. You put a puppy or a dog that is used to that and then a dog that's only been in straight lines or just walked on the fairly relatively flat land. And in fact, there was a good comparison because my son's got Tilly's brother and he hadn't gone through quite the intensive, intensive in a very gentle way, intensive as in it's encouraged. And we went for a walk through the woods and he walked all over the place, whereas Tilly was sort of like a cat, but a dog going across all the branches really easily, knew where her whole body fitted Mm. and was placed. It looked so natural and easy, but because we bring up dogs in an unnatural environment, Mm -hmm. they are not naturally going to develop, especially if we want them to go to an extreme sport. Not that sport's extreme, but we are pushing a dog's body to an extreme. Yeah. So we have to put the mileage in to develop them. But the way we do it is using natural exercise. So we, we don't use any other equipment apart from poles and logs and things like that, because yeah. that is what they would naturally develop on anyway. It's certainly interesting, especially in the last let's just say 18 months, two years with COVID here and so many lockdowns and things like that. And we're seeing even people, so I still do the odd uh, behavioral consult as well, but people that have had their dogs inside or not even ventured out into their backyard for the critical socialization period. Yeah. So, but from a health and fitness side, it's almost the exact same thing, but exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And Koshla mentioned earlier about rehome dogs. 
going into a sport, which is fantastic to mm-hmm. give them that opportunity. But with a rehome, we don't really know where they've come from generally. Mm-hmm. And really, we strongly recommend you start from the very beginning as if they are a puppy mm-hmm. and build them slowly rather than going, yay, let them run and have fun. Wouldn't you agree, Kushner? Yeah. I mean, Canicross or, or harness sports are great for rescue dogs, which maybe haven't got a recall. You want to build a relationship up with them. So it's great. And everyone goes, oh, go out and do three miles with them. And then they break because there's no musculature there. You don't know how long they've been in a foster home or whether they've been in kennel or how much time they were perhaps crated if in a previous home and all of those and whether they want slippery floors. So you've really got to build. It's worth taking the time to build them structurally, treating them like a pups and getting that musculature ready before you then put them into a harness and expect them to then run because the dogs will run. They've suddenly got freedom and they're suddenly able to do it. It doesn't mean that they should be doing it or that they won't break within a couple of months. Like something that I talk about as well, and I developed a little chart, you know, for a lot of my clients, but understanding the dog. So I took the Borg rate of perceived exertion and I modified it a little bit to create it for our dogs as well. But having a good understanding of where they're at, obviously we're talking about when we're exercising and knowing when to dial it back and build up slowly. You know, we don't go from one to a hundred as we're talking about. Absolutely. And it really depends as well. I mean, also what your goals are. When you're working with dogs in harness or you're doing canicross or you want to take them on the bike, it's really thinking about what your goal is. If you would like to be competitive, then you're looking at short courses. You're looking at sprint. You're looking at, I don't know if it's the same in, in Australia as it is UK, but competitively between five and seven K. And if that's your goal to be competitive, then there's no point taking your dogs out for a 12 mile run because they've got no concept of the fact that, you know, at the weekend, we're going to be doing 5K flat out. You've got to train and condition for what you'd like the dog to do. And running your dog in harness, if you'd like to go out and have fun and adventures on the trail with your dogs, brilliant, absolutely fantastic. But please don't then turn up to a run and go, why didn't we win? We're doing miles. Why are we not going fast enough? Because it's all fair on your dogs. When you put your running shoes on, they're not sure whether they're going for 5K or five miles. So it's really conditioning your dogs to actually the distance that you'd like to do with them. And if that's to go out and have lots of adventures and to go out and explore trails and do a bit, that's fabulous. But again, if you would like to be competitive in the canny cross, then think about what you're doing. And again, you then need a structured program, which is to build up. You need to be doing shorter distance and then, you know, a fast, then a bit further at the same speed, a bit further. You need to do intervals, all of those sorts of things. And you need to treat your dogs as athletes and build them up from that. Also looking at seasons, whether you're in a, a race season or a down season or it's too hot, then that's your, your off time. When it's cooler, then that's your race time. It really is conditioning them. And I agree. So we've just come out of our season. We're just about to hit summer here in Australia. I was talking to someone about I've got the calendar for next year where we're going to work out our micro cycles, our meso cycles. You know, we're going to have a look at our structured week. But right now, the dogs are dogs. For the next couple of months, summer's here. We will just swim and we'll just have fun. Once we get over that, we'll start building up. We'll dial it right back and we'll start building up slowly. My weeks, months, days are broken down into certain activities, you know. So certainly advice I can give, and I hope you agree, is that If you do want to compete at an event, it doesn't matter where you feel like you want to place. If you want to compete, you need to really look at your program and, as you mentioned, build up slowly and add the right right elements to that program as well, not just 
all right, let's strap the shoes on and the, and the harness and just go to a park run every Saturday morning and that's enough for training and go as flat out as you can. Exactly, because you're just chasing, you know, you're chasing times and it's not fair on the dogs to expect them to be able to do that. Our dogs free run for, you know, the majority of the time. We're lucky where we live. I've got areas that I can take the dogs and, and they free run. And the amount of harness work they do is actually quite, quite a small amount in some way. But then a lot of the rest of the time we're doing proprioception work. We're doing some pole work. We're doing the groundwork still along with the free running, but also for competing at Canny Cross at the level that, that we are good. I'm competing at a Canny Cross. You know, we spend a lot of the time with the dogs actually doing bike jaw on the bike because Canny Cross is the quickest way of slowing the dog down. <laughs> yeah. The limiting factor. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, a lot of the training that our guys do is actually on a bike, not with me in the saddle, with my husband in the saddle. One of the big things with any activity you've got to be careful of is a repetitive strain. Repetitive strains come in all sizes, shapes and conditions and can be small movements to very large movements. So, of course, if you're running at the same pace Every day, like you see people running on roads or cycling at the same pace, you are going to create a massive problem from just your dog working in one range of movement, which will create an overload of muscle fiber within that range. And it will be very difficult for them to change. So all these programs that you're talking about are absolutely critical beyond getting them past that foundation and into that conditioning to the fitness that you can get to so you have a balanced dog at the end. I agree. And, and you know, and we we're talking about it earlier, educational and some people just don't know what a balanced program looks like in regards to proprioception, flexibility, strength. These are just some things that come to mind when I think about balanced program. You may love to hear, in your opinion, what a balanced program encompasses those things or, or slightly different things that people can really start to think about. Well, proprioception and strength and spatial awareness tend to all come together with that program where you are developing the dog's full functional movement. So you are doing all those slow exercises and slightly faster too, because you want the joints to be sort of working as well. But those slow exercises that are creating those lateral medial movements are engaging the dog as a whole. And once you've got the whole, you will have the proprioception, you will have the spatial awareness, and you will have that balance and connection between all those movement planes. It's then at that point is where you take it. And that's where you guys pick up on your training programs. With the foundations done, it will naturally move on, won't it? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I often talk about a couple of things. I've got this pyramid and I've got at the top of the pyramid, sports specific, it sits right at the top. There's obviously a, a number of things underneath that pyramid that we need to tick off off first. That sports specific is a, a very small element. Kushler, I know that you mentioned before that the dogs will be in harness for a very short period of time within the training program. Yeah, they really will. The dogs also mentally so mentally, I don't want them to get tired. Physically, we want to safeguard them as much as we can. And, you know, the dogs know their job. Once you put a harness on, they are fully aware of it. So, you know, in harness, they probably only go in harness probably about during um, racing season for a training week, probably three or four times a week. And that's it. The rest of the time, they're free running or doing, you know, foundation work. So the, the time in harness is relatively short. And again, that is not going out and doing race distance by any stretch. We'll build, we'll break that down into, into intervals. So maybe that might be time intervals or distance intervals. So I might ask the guys to take them out on the bikes. 
I do sound like I'm a bit of a diva now, don't I? I ask the guys to take them out on the bike. <laughs> Maybe that would be three two Ks or two three Ks, or can you go out and do four two minutes or something like that? And you're always kind of really trying to get them towards the race distance that you're looking at. So if, for example, the uh, the World Championships, which are taking place in France for the International Canicross Federation, which is the monosports, the race is 6.8K. So that's the distance that we'll be working towards. So be working out the time that we'd be on our feet for 6.8K and then working out that would be basically forming the, the, the training program. So probably up to about 6.5K and making it as fast and as optimal as we can up to that race distance. But we certainly won't be going out doing 6.5K, 6.5K, 6.5K. There's no point. You want the dogs just to go. So certainly to start with, we'll be, we just go out and do you know K intervals and add on another K so the dogs have the rest in between. Asking Gracers to rest in between intervals is usually quite entertaining. And I know that we're, look, we're focused quite heavily on dogs today, but on the flip side, if you're just starting Candy Cross or activities as a human, you need to apply the same principles. Exactly it. I mean, certainly on the, on the Trail Runners website, we're very lucky because I work with Verity Halliday, who, who we team teach Candy Cross clinics between us, and she's a biomechanic specialist. So she's a human running coach. So it's brilliant because we've developed a whole load of programs, which are Candy Cross, uh, Couch to Candy Cross, which is great because it's, again, it's that human element as well as a dog element and building it up really over a really short, long period of time. Again, it builds on intervals exactly the same as you would do a human couch to 5K. We've got the dog element as well, so that, you know, people really think about building that up, but over a longer period of time. So we've done our uh, training program over a slightly longer period to make sure that the dogs really get that fitness in there. And all too often, I've probably been guilty before my education come up as well. As I always say, she'll be right. And dogs are all as fit as a fiddle. Let's just go. And that's where we tend to get into uh, some problems and issues as we've previously discussed. But having the mindset of nice and slow build up is really the key. But I mean, certainly for canicross and things, you talk about monosports, which is obviously on the bike and the scooter as well. Even with the dogs on the bike, as soon as you start to outrun the dogs, and as soon as you look at it as your human um, workout by going, I'm going to pedal as fast as I can and I'm going to outrun the dog. The dog's going to go, what's the point? What, what is this? You're overtaking me. That's when a lot of then understanding how to train for these sports comes in, which is, you know, sitting back with a dog, letting the line is always taught. And the same with canny cross. The line is always taught. If the dog backs off, you stop, you restart. I'm not going to do a countdown because all of my dogs will go completely <laughs> Yeah. You stop, you give them a moment, you do a countdown, you restart them so that they learn that the idea is, is they're always pulling and the line is always taught in front. And the same with the bike. Just wanted to uh, to jump over to you, Julia. I wanted to talk about, just go back a little bit, the evolution or the, I would say the evolution and the public perception over the last few years in regards to people seeking education around your methods and your teaching and sort of how it's evolved. And obviously it's going from strength to strength, but I just wanted to ask and have a quick chat about that. Yeah. Well, as I said, I started 20 years ago or Garland mm. started 20 years ago. I started a few years before that, of course. Yep. And the change is just incredible. And in many, many ways, it's fantastic. There's so much more knowledge and there are more people learning and really keen. And of course, knowledge breeds knowledge and everything. But there's always a bit of a 
the downside to that too is mm. that there's an awful lot of ignorance that is also out there in mm. the marketplace too. So that makes it a bit more challenging sometimes when you are working against things that you know profoundly are not right. So it's good, but there's always pros and cons, aren't there? Mm. But the change has been phenomenal. And I don't know about Australia, but the rehab centers now that are open and people are much more aware of training their sporting dogs, which was when I started one of my big things, because I could just see dogs breaking in front of me. It's a lot better. It's still not perfect Mm -hmm. at all. People still think, I love that sport-specific thing right at the top of your pyramid. Yep. People still think they've got to jump their dogs if they want to do agility every day. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not something they need. But the knowledge has improved. But then again, because Garland was basically built on a really good knowledge of anatomy and physiology and observation. So, of course, the observations now that we have been and I have been part of are 20 years old. So mm-hmm. the organization has grown and developed and our courses have grown and developed, haven't they, Kushler? And things like we've developed Positive Pact, which is our choice-led treatment, which is mind-blowing. Every time we use it, because that's what we do as practitioners, see the dog react and work with us so strongly and tightly within a treatment is amazing. So that's all been scientifically supported. Our postural assessments that we do are amazing because you can actually work out the line of the dog and potentially almost work back where a potential injury or condition started. So our postural assessments too are growing and developing. So we are moving on, people are moving on. It's just, it is great to have more education and people like you out there teaching people about sport and getting them on the right track. It's just so important because it's lovely. If people want to do with their dogs, it's great. But to do it to no harm is Mm. just amazing. So it's great. And these podcasts are so educational and people can dip in and dip out and really pick up so much. So well done you. Thank you. I often get very jealous that the fact that here in Australia, we're not quite where I'd love us to be especially with our rehab centers and even just hydrotherapy treadmill, you know, is I can probably count five, they're three to four hours drive away, you know? So the access is very limited at this point in time. I'm hoping in the next three to five years, you know, things change a little bit and I might even establish something myself, but right now they're anywhere from 60 to $80,000 for that piece of equipment, you know? So they're quite an investment to get here in Australia, et cetera. But I'm hoping that, yeah, um, there's a super exciting times for sure. But I think that the next three to five years in Australia, things will develop and, and just go from strength to strength. So that, yeah, I definitely sometimes get a little bit jealous of what's happening over in the UK or the US, for instance. Building awareness, I think, for people. It's been a long journey in UK and certainly with the journey that Canicross has been on over a very relatively short period of time. And it's just building that level of awareness within the sport and building that, you know, warm ups, cool downs, looking at how your dogs are moving and, you know, putting those extra that groundwork in as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not an overnight, but as Julia said, these kind of podcasts, though, it's just building all of that the whole time yeah. and building understanding, which is fantastic. Yeah, for sure. I spoke to Lindsay Johnson a little while ago from uh, Candy Fit, and she's just hit 10 years. Once again, it's, it's not an overnight success, certainly, you know, and you guys know that as well. And 
But if we keep moving forward and, and trying to develop matching science with philosophies and things like that, I definitely think that, like I said, for me, the next three to five years are, are super exciting times. Definitely. Well, I'm lucky at being able to impart the information through the trail runners and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, having that grounding through Garland and understanding and having Julia giving me the, the help and the knowledge behind me and, and helping with all of that, that's what's really given that gravitas. And certainly, you know, a lot of people say, you know, when we're doing treatments on dogs, Julia touched on positive pact, which is one of the founding guidelines and principles of Garland. And they've got busy working dogs and they're like, oh, this isn't going to work. They're not going to settle. And then, you know, we apply that and we give the dogs choice. And they are absolutely amazed that this really busy, nutty working dog just comes and lies down and they get it. Yeah. And the same with doing the exercises. Everyone goes, my dog's not going to do that. They're just going to crash through. It's just going to be madness. And actually, they're not. You, you ask the dogs, you slow them down, you give them the guidance to do it, and you ask them to do it and they do it. And people are always amazed by that. But if you get the exercises right, it's like doing the really good Pilates class that actually makes it feel good. And that's what we, I believe, are tapping into, don't you think? Yeah. And the dogs, because they suddenly realise, they're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Okay, yeah, I can do this. That's what is the magical moment, really, but with no magic involved. I was going to actually ask Kushla, I think this little case history, if she doesn't mind divulging it, would be very interesting about when we first did the functional biomechanics with your guys and you were doing that crazy amount of running with a very super fit team. Do you mind? (laughs) We were training for a mad thing, which was five marathons in five days for Help for Heroes, which was to raise money for the forces. And uh, we were rotating our dogs through. I went down to see Julie with all our guys, with our dogs, and I had a really fit Siberian Husky Coda. And he was my dream dog, really, really fit. And we did some functional exercises and he could not do them at all. Yep. He moved in straight lines. As soon as we put him over some platforms, he could not do it. And that was an absolute nightmare to me. Any lateral movement at all, completely. And he looked like Bambi on ice for about two days afterwards. Yeah. And that for me was actually one of those moments of like, oh, my life, what have I done? One of those awful moments where you go and throw yourself on a sword outside. Then you understand. And that's one of the best learning experiences I've ever had. And we've all had those moments where you go, what have I done? I'm the worst owner in the world. And that was, again, it was one of those amazing learning opportunities that I had. And we love those moments. They make us better. They make us stronger. We want to move forward with our dog. That's certainly um, amazing. Are you looking for the perfect gift for you or a friend that loves dogs and fitness? Dogs and Deadlifts has you covered with merchandise and giftware, including t-shirts, hoodies, cushion covers, mugs, plus much more. Head over to teespring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. That's T-E-E-Spring.com forward slash dogs and deadlifts. Or check out the link in the podcast notes. We'll wrap things up, if that's okay. We could obviously talk for hours and hours and hours, but we'll sort of wrap it up there. So if anyone wants to reach out to you guys, they've liked what they've heard today on the podcast. They've got, hey, let's find out some more. Whereabouts could they find out some more? For the Garland site, it's garlandmyotherapy.co.uk. Yep. We do also have an Australian site too, which is .au. 
and that for Garland and Kushler, obviously you can contact Kushler via that site, but also you've got your Penny Cross Trail Runners. Do you want to hand over yeah. that information? Yeah. yeah, we've got a, a Facebook page, which is Canny Cross Trail Runners. And we've also got a website, which is cannycross.org.uk. Awesome. So, Julia, Gushla, look, I want to say thank you very much for taking uh, the time. Obviously, it's Friday evening over there, taking the time to have a chat with me on Dogs and Deadlies podcast. has certainly been a pleasure. And I know that we've sort of just skimmed the surface and we could go for hours and hours. So once again, I really want to say thank you very much for taking the time. Well, Daniel, thank you for inviting us. We really enjoyed it. Not a problem. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you.